The spirit of gratitude is contagious, and that's why we're here today, is to experience the joy of giving. And if, and if you're new, to, new today and you're just getting caught up with this whole campaign thing and you're like, what's this whole giving money thing uh, about? I just want to let you know, uh, in the previous weeks, I know maybe this is your first time here, but what we've done in the previous weeks, what we've all agreed to do is that everybody turns in a blank check and then I get to fill it out for what I want. Uh, so aren't you glad you came today, right? <laughs> That's how we do it around here, right? Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. In fact, uh, that's not true. If you've heard us say anything over the last few weeks is that this campaign has been anything about guilt and pressure. Uh, and I hope that you've sensed that, that it is simply about uh, this, this uh, life-giving, uh, this life-changing mission that we've been given as a church to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And if giving financially, if talking about money, even though I don't like to do it, but if talking about money is a tool to help us accomplish that mission, then I am all in. Amen? Then we got to be all in for that because God's mission is worth giving our lives to. And that's really the heart behind this entire campaign. To start asking God, not just kind of what kind of a church do I want, but God, what legacy do you want us to leave as the first generation of Lutheran Church of Hope, Des Moines? Because this may be sad for some of you. It may be exciting uh, for others of you. Uh, the truth is, 100 years from now, I think, uh, maybe except some of the kids in the nursery, if they live to be really old, uh, 100 years from now, none of us will be here. I, I pray that Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines, I'm not just saying here in a physical sense, but Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines will exist, will be celebrating their 106th anniversary, and you're not going to be there. And that, that can be kind of a sobering thought or it can be a really exciting thought. And it makes us a bit reflective, doesn't it? And during this season, this holiday season, it is easy to get a little bit nostalgic. In fact, I heard a, a recent survey uh, that was done with a large group of senior citizens. And if you put yourself in that court category, that's on you. I'm not going to tell you if you're a senior citizen or not. But uh, it, was, it was done with a group of people during the Thanksgiving uh, season this time of year, actually those that are in their 90s, okay? So these are people that have lived a long, full life, and they were at all asked the same question. If you could do your life over again, what would you do differently? If you could do it all over again and go back to the beginning, knowing what you know now, knowing what you've learned, what would you do differently? What would you change? So they asked uh, hundreds and hundreds of senior citizens in their 90s this question, and the overwhelming response from all of them was, huh, what? <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home, probably. No, I'm kidding. Uh, all in good fun. We love them. No, actually, these folks in their 90s responded in one of three ways, in these top three answers. And first of all, they basically said, I would risk more. Not taking like silly, stupid risks, but I would take more chances. I would seize more opportunities for adventure. Second thing that they said they would do differently, they're, they're nearing the end of their life. They said, I would reflect more. I would have taken more time just to breathe it all in. I would mark more moments. I would, here's a challenging one for us. I wouldn't have been in such of a hurry all the time. I would have stopped and I would have considered what really matters more often. And thirdly, they said, I would spend more time 
on things that would somehow live on after I was gone. I would have spent more time on things that would somehow live on after I died. And actually, all three responses speak very deeply to the opportunity that we have here today to take a leap of faith, to take a risk in a way, but it's in God's hands, so it's not really a risk, but also to reflect more on God's goodness today, and finally, to be a part of something as a church that's going to last, something that's going to live beyond all of us, something that will matter for eternity. And that's what we believe that God has called us to do through this campaign. So that 10, 20, 25, 30 years from now, Hope Des Moines is going to gather for worship with hundreds and maybe thousands of members in one, two, three, four dozen locations all over the metro area. And it'll be a place where your kids have been baptized and confirmed and maybe married. Can you imagine? 25 years from now, 30 years from now, the kids that are up there, the plethora, by the way, the, the enormous amount of kids uh, that are up in Kingdom Quest uh, right now, those kids uh, thumbing through the archives of Hope Des Moines, 30, 50 years from now, however long it is, and they're looking at pictures of all of you, and they're watching us be the church, and serving, and worshiping, and, and being in groups, and, and I'm guessing that they're, they're reading about these days, and they're seeing pictures, and they're saying, what a goofy-looking bunch of people. <laughs> I bet, I bet some of your kids will look at pictures and go, they thought that was in style, right? Some of you know who you are, right? I'm just kidding. What if instead that they were able to say, I'm so glad that there was people back in November of 2013 that had a vision that was bigger than their own ideas of what the church could be. I am so glad that in November of 2013, there was a group of people that believed that God was uh, able to do something much bigger than they could ever ask or imagine. And we are those people. That, that our kids and our grandkids that, that come after us would be able to say, look what God has done because they had faith. Look what God has done because of a few seeds of faith that were planted. Now look at the incredible harvest. You think this is incredible, folks. You think running out of donut holes and chairs is incredible. I don't think we've seen anything yet compared to what God has in store, compared to the potential that he's given us as a church. In fact, Jesus speaks to this very idea. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 13. We're going to stop there for a second. When we talk about planting seeds in faith and, and having them grow in the, in the soil and the roots of our faith, in Matthew 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. Jesus is telling a story about a farmer that's getting up faithfully every day and, and scattering seeds in the fields. And depending on where those seeds landed, there was much different results. And although some seeds never took, took root, Jesus says it's the seeds that were planted in faith and the seeds that landed on fertile soil that when those people trusted the word and they were obedient to God, it multiplied their impact. Look at verse 8. Talking about all the other seeds that didn't grow and then at the end of the story it says, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. Not just one plant, not just a little bit of fruit, but it says a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. 
multiplication rather than addition. I've heard it put this way, that the people who truly want to live uh, leave a legacy. The people that don't want to look back with any regrets in their life, the people that want to leave a legacy, spend their time planting seeds of which they may never see the harvest. Think about a lot of our favorite Bible characters. Think about everything that Moses went through. His entire life, he never got to enter the promised land. But because of Moses' faithfulness and his obedience to God, we have the rest of the story of God. We have the rest of the Bible because those people were able to enter in and live into their potential. Because what we've discovered is when we start following Jesus, when we start surrendering our lives to him, is that he begins instilling in us this desire to be a part of something bigger than us. All of you have, have, have tried to find the answer in the things of this world, and even good things, hobbies, sports, uh, your job, your work, your, your house, or having cars, or material things, or, or wealth, or fame, or popularity, or whatever it is, and none of those things fill us up. Because it's all about us. <laughs> we discover our purpose in life when we stop navel-gazing and start living for something bigger than us that's going to last. So how do we get there? John, that's a great idea. And I don't want to live till I'm 95 and then at that point look back and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda. How does that not happen? God's word has some very specific things to say to us this morning. So let's dig in and find out what those things are. Turn to Psalm 37. That's where we're going to start this morning. Everybody open up your Bibles to Psalm 37. If you literally take your Bible and have no idea what you're doing, open it up to the middle, you'll be in the Psalms. And then find the big number 37. It's an easy book to find. Psalm 37 is where we're going to start this morning. How do we become great? How do we live, uh, uh, leave a legacy with our lives? Well, it turns out the key to doing great things is actually starting very small. This may be a familiar passage to some of you, but it says Psalm 37, verse 3. And I'm going to read it from uh, uh, the New Revised Standard Version, which is a little bit different, but I, I like how that speaks to this verse. In verse 3, it says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Cultivate faithfulness. If you want to leave a legacy, it starts not with seeking popularity or wealth, but living deeply and committed where you already are, doing the little things, which turns out are not so little after all. Getting up every day, and if you're married, pursuing your spouse. Getting up every day and loving your family. Not just talking about reading the Bible as a good religious thing to do, but doing it every single day. Getting up every single day, as I know that some of you do, to pray for your friends and your neighbors and your family that don't know Jesus. Seems like such a simple, small thing. Serve when no one else is looking. Serve the way that so many of you do around here to make this possible. I believe that when we find ourselves focused on being a man or a woman of integrity, the applause of this world, the applause of this world becomes less and less significant, and the only words that we long to hear on a daily basis are from our Heavenly Father saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
that I start to live for an audience of one. Yeah, I want other people's opinions and their input, but at the end of the day, one person's opinion matters in my life about whether it was successful or not. And that's my Father in heaven. It may be hard to believe on a day like today when there's, there's so much excitement in the air, you can feel it. <laughs> Maybe you just had a lot of coffee. I don't know. But there's a lot of excitement in the air, and if, if I'm honest with all of you, there have been some days when I've wondered... <laughs> Are we making a difference at all? Is this whole satellite thing, is this whole church plant thing, is that worth getting up every single morning and, and, and our staff putting in some long hours and asking you as volunteers to commit so much? Like, I've wondered, is it worth it? And there's been a lot of moments where I've been that close to throwing in the towel because, I'll be honest, ministry's hard. Life is hard. <laughs> Ministry is hard. And there's been some moments where I'm so close to throwing in the towel and God just comes and he amazes me once again. In fact, a few months back, I was preaching out at our, our West Des Moines campus and after I was done sharing what we as a church, specifically in that message, were, are doing in the city and how we're reaching out and loving our neighbors uh, and serving the city, uh, this guy started to walk down. I was kind of up in the front by the stage and people come up and usually shake your hand or smile or say thank you after you preach. And this guy started to walk down and he did not look like your normal church-going fellow, uh, church-goer. Instead, he looked like he had just stepped out of the Stur- Sturgis Festival uh, or a Harley shop, okay? This was a bad-looking dude, right? Something like that, right? Now, if you just saw that guy, would you be like, oh, friendly, Right? Maybe not so much. Total bad dude, right? Chains, tattoos, boots, the whole deal. I'm sure his name was Spike, and he has been trained to kill pastors. I don't know, but that's kind of, that's what he looked like. So the closer he gets, like, I'm down in front, and I'm, like, desperately looking around, like, okay, anybody else need to talk to me? Like, look busy, right? Uh, make, I don't make eye contact with him. But then, before I could do that, he walks right up to me. Not the greatest breath in the world, but he, he gets right up to me, and he looks me right in the eyes. Like, that guy, right here. Okay? And I'm like, you know, I'm glad I was a pretty decent sermon, because it might be my last one, right? I went, I went out uh, on top, right? And he just say, and he says this, Hey, you the uh, pastor down there at that city church? And just as I was about to say yes, uh, as he was glaring at me, I wanted to say, um, why do you want to know, right? I just kind of wanted, wanted to know. I said, yes, fearing for my life. And he looks right at me, this guy, and starts to get emotional. And he says, well, I just want you to know that I have a friend down there at your church who's a new man because of what you do. And I know that you probably think that people don't notice. And he looks right at me and he points his finger at me. Some people probably thought he was threatening my life, but he says, I know you probably think people don't notice, but don't you ever stop doing what you're doing down there because Jesus is changing lives. And I said, oh, thank God. Thanks for not killing me. (laughs) Because nothing could be more important. Nothing could be more important. But we're human, and I'm broken, and I'm imperfect, and sometimes I doubt 
my impact, and probably some of you this morning, you're doubting your impact on this community as well. That you have a role in this church, in this mission, because somehow even today you've equated significance with the, the amount of what you can give to this campaign. You're saying, I, I can give, but it really won't make a dent at all. It'll just be like shooting BBs at an army tank, right? So it's not going to make any difference. I just have this small little gift that I can give. And that would be true if we were judging by the world's standards, the way that the world would view a campaign like this. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. In the, in the kingdom, it's different. In the kingdom, one seed planted in faith can reap a harvest a hundred, a thousand times what was sown. And if you've ever doubted, like I have, if you've ever doubted what your little contribution, what your little gift, what kind of impact that could make, I want you to watch this next video and I want you to pay attention to when one little girl does a very small thing that she thinks is totally insignificant and watch what happens when in faith she believes, oh, there's much more than what we can see with our eyes. Let's take a look. And none of that would have happened unless one little girl said, I want to hear the music. I want to do my part because she believed that it was worth it. The title to that video is very fitting, I think. It's called The Best Coin Ever Spent. She would have never imagined the impact that her simple gift could make, creating a beautiful symphony of everybody doing their part, proving once again that together we make something much more beautiful than we could ever do alone. And so my question for you this morning is what part of that beautiful symphony is God calling you to play today? What instrument is God calling you to play so that one becomes this beautiful symphony? And yet it would be easy to think that when we do all that, you're saying, there's a lot of things that I want to do for God. And, and it would be easy to think that leaving a legacy and being great is about a list of good deeds. If I accomplish all these things for God, then I will be great. Then I will have no regrets in life. And look, God, look at all these things that I have accomplished. How much we've given, even. The biggest mistake that some of us could make isn't failing to try isn't, isn't failing to give whatever our gift is. It's trying to do great things in our lives apart from a dynamic, passionate, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. To say, God, look at all these great things I've done. Look at all this money I gave. I helped build the future church. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to worship every week. Now I'm good enough. Now Jesus says you are good enough right now, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what I've already done for you. Never try to be great. Never try to leave a legacy without a relationship with Jesus Christ because it'll never satisfy. In fact, I came across a story not too long ago as told by some Christian missionaries that went to uh, the country of Tanzania in Africa where their uh, uh, family is of these children that they sponsor through Compassion International. And I, I do that same thing with our uh, boy that we sponsor and so I know a little bit about what that's like. And so they traveled far out into the country and there's no paved roads and there's no running water. And they finally reached this remote village where their, their kids that they sponsor lived and, and they were invited into this hut. So I want you to imagine, this is in Africa and, and in the, basically in the wilderness in the desert. And this hut is made out of twigs and mud and manure. 
And that's where this family of six lives in this hut. And so they get invited in to sit, and it's, pretty, it's kind of a tight squeeze in there, and they start talking and getting to know the family, and they ask the father. His husband and wife, they have four kids. And after they talk for a while, one of the Christian missionaries from America asked, if you could have one thing to improve your life, what would it be? He has nothing. The translator asked him, and then he got a little emotional, and after a long pause, he looked up at these Christian missionaries and he said, you ask me what more do I need? I have a stream for water. I have a tree for fruit. I have a goat that compassion gave us for milk. You ask me what more do I need? My family knows Jesus. What more could I ever ask for? And they just kind of sat there, dumbfounded. (laughs) So why does it take those that have so little to remind us of how much we already have? Why do we have to go to Africa to realize knowing Jesus Christ is the most valuable treasure that you will ever possess? And that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're doing this campaign, because at the end of the day, it's that people would know Jesus, so that those who live in our neighborhoods can know Jesus the same way that the Tanzanian man knows Jesus. That you would be able to talk to your neighbors and they would say, because of your church, I know Jesus. (laughs) Because of you, I know Jesus. There's a lot of good things in this life that we can spend our time on. There's a lot of good things that we can give our lives to. And most of it, 99% of it, is going to fade away. And the only thing that's going to last is the kingdom. Your kingdom will fade away. Your kingdom will be done one day. There are no U-Hauls attached to hearse. It will all fade away. The only thing that's going to last are those things that are eternal. And so my question for you today is, are you living for things that are going to last forever? What will you do today, this week, that will matter for eternity? You may have heard the story when the Apple computer, the Macintosh uh, company, was really taking off. And the company was growing by leaps and bounds. And the founder, uh, the late Steve Jobs, was looking for a businessman to help him out with his marketing. And so he was recruiting, actively recruiting, the lead marketing uh, director for Pepsi. So it's a pretty big deal, right? Pepsi's doing okay, right? They're selling some pop, right? And after the Pepsi guy kept giving him excuse after excuse, no, I don't want to join this fruit company. No, we're making computers. That's what it is, right? He's just taking off. Nobody knew the impact of what Apple would have with iPads and iPods and i-everything, right? And Steve Jobs kept trying to convince him after excuse after excuse after excuse. Steve Jobs finally looked at this guy, this executive from Pepsi, and he says, listen to me. You can sell sugar for the rest of your life, or you can join us and change the world. Your choice. And he was the new marketing director for Apple Computers. You can sell sugar for the rest of your life, or you can join us and change 
the world. Well, in a much more profound way, that's the call that Jesus gave to 12 ordinary guys, 12 ordinary people just like you and I, who had pretty much settled upon the fact that they were going to catch loads of smelly fish for the rest of their lives. Peter, James, and John, among others, until that day when the rabbi shows up. Matthew chapter 4, if you want to follow along, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and jump to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he's not recruiting for a marketing director, but he's looking for disciples. He's looking for followers. And we pick it up in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you, I will help you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. And then it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus says, in other words, you come follow me and I'll show you how to live your life with no regrets. Come follow me, Jesus says, and I'll show you how you don't have to wait till till you're 90 to start reflecting back and making your life mean it. In other words, Jesus says, you can fish the rest of your life or you can join me and change the world. And they followed him. What are you living for these days? And this story and the disciples show us that to know Jesus is not simply to agree with him intellectually, but to get up and follow in obedience. If we are going to leave a legacy, I guarantee that it is going to cause you and I to leave our comfort zones and take a leap of faith. I was thinking about how to illustrate this, taking a leap of faith, and I couldn't help but think about that image and my mind going back to the Story City Municipal Pool and those endless summer days growing up as a little boy. For my highly scientific studies and results, I can say that I have concluded that there are two main ways to enter a pool. The first option is this, is the, what I call the tiptoe scaredy-cat method, Right? where you get up there and you inch and you stand in the gutter for a long time and you maybe kind of dip your toes in the water a little bit and it's a little cold and you stand there shivering saying, I don't want to get in, I'm too scared. And then there's the belly flop approach, right? Where you just say, I don't care, and those that get a running start and just go, wow, in a belly flop. Or do you remember can openers? Remember those? Or cannonballs, right, where you tuck your knees, right? So growing up, guess which one I was? I was the first one. Yeah, I was a scary cat, right? And I remember, I remember going to the pool. And this is like, I was like four, five, six years old. So I was just starting to swim, and I didn't know if I could swim or not. And so I would waddle up with my floaties. Remember floaties, right? I love floaties because they made my muscles look really big, right? Like a little six-year-old boy, right? And I would walk up to the gutter, and my dad would be standing about two feet out uh, in, the, in the shallow end, and he'd be saying, come on, John, come on. And I would waddle up to the gutter with my floaties on, and i kind of dip my toes in the water and say, I'm scared, I don't want to, right? He says, John, it's three feet, right? You can probably stand up and be okay. Otherwise, I'm going to catch you. Take the leap, Jonathan, because I'm right here, and I'm going to catch you, and you can trust me, he says. So I'm waddling in the gutter as a scaredy cat. Guess what my brother's doing? backflips off the high dive, right? He's only two years older than I am, right? And he's going off the high dive, woo! And he's saying, mom and dad, look at me, woo! Right? Belly flop, I don't care. I got burns, you know, from landing on the water, smack like that. He's like, I don't care, it's fun. 
Which one are you today? Are you standing in the gutter, afraid to take a leap of faith? Are you all in? I'm not just talking about like jumping into the pool. I'm, I'm talking about taking a leap of faith. And what I believe that God is calling us to do today for this vision that we have as a church is to do one giant collective cannonball as a church. To stop standing in the gutter and saying, well, we're okay with the status quo. We're kind of apathetic. We're kind of passive. I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want to stand there and dip my toes in the water and wonder what it would be like to take a leap of faith. I want to go up to the high board with all of you, all of us together, and say, one, two, three, let's go! Woo! I want to know what that feels like. And no matter what you're feeling today, if you're kind of apprehensive, I don't know what I can give, I don't know what I can bring to this church, our Father in heaven is waiting for us underneath that diving board saying, even if you're a little scared, trust me, I've got you, I'm right here. And here's the thing, have you ever seen any little kid run, and, or adult for that matter, run and jump into a pool screaming to do a, a cannonball or a can opener? and have a frown on their face. I'm so excited to be at this hotel on vacation. I'm going to run and jump in the pool. Woo! No, you don't see that, right? When we take a leap of faith, it brings joy, and God actually says that's what your giving is supposed to be like. That's how, that's how we started this entire campaign. Let's read this together up on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Let's read it together nice and loud. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what you got to know today is that God cares way more about the manner in which we give than the amount that we give. God says, I care about your heart. I, I care about your motivation. And if you're unable to give financially, don't do it. <laughs> Take care of your family. There is no guilt and there is no pressure. God says, I want, you to give you, I want you to give out of freedom. I want you to give out of joy. Is it coming from a place of gratitude today? If you want to know what giving in joy looks like, have you watched your kids recently, right? I'm talking about the kids that are up there right now with their little building hope together piggy banks that they have. Have you watched them come into worship, right? I saw one kid last week come in with a dollar bill going, woo, woo, like that. He's not showing it off. He's just excited. I have a dollar bill to give. I watched kids come in down the stairs this morning with their little piggy banks, and they're heavy. They're showing you up, right? They're heavy, right? And they're coming in, bouncing down the stairs, going, So who are your role models in the faith? They're mine. In terms of giving... It's not some solemn affair. Every week they've been coming in dancing as a model for us, as an example for us. And that's what today is all about, is giving thanks. And at the end of the day, you know, around this Thanksgiving season, you always go around the table and say what you're thankful for. I haven't told you what I'm thankful for in a while. <laughs> Hawkeye win yesterday. But way more important than that, you. I'm thankful for you. And it could be a whole other sermon of just ways that I'm thankful for you, but I, 
I'm thankful that for your dedication to be here week in and week out. I'm thankful for the passion that so many of you have to invite your neighbors, to invite your friends that don't know Jesus. I'm thankful for so many of you that walked up to me after your very first Sunday here and you said, Pastor John, what do you need? I'm here to serve. No strings attached. I am so thankful that you have always seen yourself as a real church and that this is just going to be icing on the cake. I'm thankful that we've created a family here where we know that nobody's perfect, but everybody's welcome. I'm so thankful, and dare I say, proud. I'm so proud to be your pastor. Well, it turns out that there's another coach who felt very similar about his team, and so I thought maybe after a tough season, our Cyclone brothers and sisters need a little pick-me-up. So I'm going to show you a speech I'm going to show you a speech by Coach Rhodes of the Iowa State football team that he gave a couple years ago about how proud he is of his team. But more importantly than that, as you watch him in this final clip, I want you to picture yourself in that locker room as one of the players and imagine what that felt like. Let's take a look. I guarantee you that's not fake. That's real. I'm so proud. And that's my heart for all of you today, and more importantly than that, way more important than what I think, is that your Heavenly Father says to each and every single one of you today and to us together as a community, as a church, listen to me. (laughs) Listen to me. You have to get this. I am so proud. I am so proud of you as a church. And it's not because of anything that you've done. And it's not because of anything that you will do. It's because you're my kids. You're my sons and you're my daughters. And I love you. I am so proud of you as a church. And it's time be who you were created to be and it's time to live into that calling to live in that potential that you have as a church listen to the biker dude don't you ever stop doing what you're doing down there at that city church don't you ever stop amen so at this time we're just going to be with God for a little bit. We're just going to take a breather and we're just going to ask him what he's calling us to bring. If you want to take out your envelope that you brought with you this morning and if you don't have one, those of you on the ends of the rows could pass those baskets down and there's extra commitment cards in there. I want every single one of you to grab one. This isn't just about my financial gifts today. Every single person needs to have a card. And whether you can give financially today or not, that's not the point. The point is every one of us has a part to play. So grab that card, grab a pen. 
And on that card, if you want to write in a financial amount, if you've already decided on that, that's awesome. But if you can't give financially today, what I want you to write in that blank is what God is calling you to give to this community. What God is calling you to give to this future facility. It may be a smile. It may be a hug. It may be a gift that you have. It may be a a skill or a trade or a passion. It may be a way that you serve. Every single one of us has time, talent, and treasure. So every single one of us can bring something up for the offering today. Not as a show. When we bring these forward, it's, it's not a show. It's, it's a response to God, just like we've worshipped and sang together. This is just a way that we worship God. So what is that that God's calling you to write on your commitment card this morning? In addition to that, you know that uh, a month or so ago, we took these pictures, and those in the second service will join us in doing that as well. But if you have your picture, take your picture right now. And if you don't, in your bulletin, is a card that says, my dream for Hope Des Moines is. If you don't have a picture, which is what is written on their pictures, if you don't have a picture, just take some time and what, write what your dream for our church is. What you're going to bring goes on your commitment card, what you're going to give, and your dream for us as a church goes on that card that was in your bulletin. And here's what we're going to do. In a little bit, the band's going to lead us in worship, and we would invite you to come forward when you're ready. No guilt, no pressure. Just picture the little kids with their piggy banks. Woo! I want you to come forward, and in these baskets, you can drop your envelope. And when you're done with that, take your picture or that card that was in your bulletin. And up here, on these pictures of our new church facility, are a bunch of sticky sticky little uh, circles there, pieces of tape, and just stick it right on there. Just stick it right on there. And we are going to fill this up and it says, we are the church because here's the reality for us this morning. No matter where we ever call home, we are the church. Amen? The church is not a building. We are the church. So when you are ready, come with your family as your kids start to come back in now. Come as an entire family. Come play your role in the symphony. Come take a leap of faith. Come be a part of something that will last. Let's build hope together. Amen?